You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's preacher is Pastor Brian Flammy. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, words seem like flimsy things. In fact, we were taught from the time that we were children that words cannot hurt you, right? And as we grow older, as we go to school and and learn about our freedoms, we let the principles of free speech seep into our bones. Even to the point, I think, that our own minds start to dabble in a bit of truth over here and a bit of truth over there, switching from one worldview to the next without even realizing it sometimes. A long time ago, people used to call this cognitive dissonance. It's a fancy word for saying that you could have two sets of truth standing next to each other in your mind, and yet you didn't let that bother you, and you didn't really think much of it. Now, for you kids, we're about to go to college. Some of you in here, I think, are about to start college. This is going to be something that they're going to train you to do, actually. To enter into one particular worldview, to take on its assumptions, to take on its, its truths, and then to learn to think according to, that, according to that manner of thinking, right? Even if it means that you have to put off the kind of thoughts that you have been trained up in from the Holy Scriptures. Now, this is good for us to remember. Uh, the principle of free speech and to open conversation, this is not a kind of validation of everybody's opinion as true. Rather, when we think of a principle of free speech, we ought to see it as a principle that suffers falsehood and error in an effort to keep the truth from being stamped down by tyranny. Now, the hard work of discerning what is good and what is true and what is beautiful, this still remains. Only now the responsibility is not on the state. It's on you as individuals. It's on you as parents. It's on you as children and students. It's on us to work out the difference. Now, as Christians, I'm convinced that we should be thankful that in our country we have this freedom to pursue truth to pursue the truth in opposition to error, that we actually have the freedom as individuals and especially as the church to recognize, to recognize something that is, that is right, that is good, and to pursue it without the state coming alongside us to say, no, how dare you, you wicked person. No, we are free, and to to God we should give thanks for that. And yet we shouldn't think that this Free speech, this freedom that we have, should become a principle in our own minds and even a principle in this church to keep us from speaking against those things that are false. 
and hurtful. Now this is the point of today's sermon. Here in this Christian church, Jesus doesn't want to surround himself with a mass of prophets, a throng of prophets who are engaged in a kind of pluralistic conversation about who God is and the kind of salvation that he wants to give us. Some people, in fact, imagine that this is what the church is for, to have an open conversation about God. But Jesus says, no, that is not it. Jesus makes a distinction between voices. Jesus makes a distinction between teachers. He excludes from the Christian church the voice of the false prophets. And then he warns us against them. Why is Jesus against an open conversation about God? Why is Jesus against a pluralistic conversation about salvation? It's because Jesus knows that his voice and his voice alone has the power to save you. Jesus knows that his voice is withstood. It is fought against. And that there are enemies against his voice that would try to take us away from the life and the love and the salvation that he desires to give us. And so Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now that is a picture. It's unlike any other flock I've ever heard of, in fact. Jesus invokes the image of the flock, the flock that that we're familiar with, right? Jesus uses this picture to describe himself as what? The good shepherd who takes care of the sheep. Jesus says that my sheep hear my voice and they follow me, right? Jesus says that I am the door, right, to the sheep pen. This is a familiar metaphor to us, and it's a good metaphor. And yet Jesus takes the metaphor into a place that demands us uh, to use our imaginations a bit, because as much as we know about sheep and wolves in this world, we've never yet met a wolf that can put on sheep's clothing. And yet Jesus says, this is how it is in the church. There is the flock of Christians who hear the voice of Jesus, and they follow Jesus, And then Jesus says that the enemies are not merely outside of the flock, right? They're not merely standing outside of the boundary of the sheep pen. Instead, Jesus says that even in this this place that we call the church, there are enemies who desire nothing more than to sneak up on you to convince you that they are sheep just like you, just as good a Christian as you are. In fact, probably even better. The desire to come close to you so that they can finally sink their teeth into you, to lead you astray, and to devour you.
What Jesus is saying that is that it is not enough to trust our eyes to see the difference between the true prophets and the false prophets. That merely by looking at someone and even seeing how they conduct their lives, it is not enough. Now that is something that's good to remember. There are many people in this world, there are many people who claim to be Christian, who are adorning themselves constantly with things that look like good and holy and pure works, that in fact, as Jesus says, might be ravenous wolves. Some of you uh, have experience with this. Perhaps you've come into the Lutheran church from some of these holiness churches, right? The holiness churches that that actually say that you must scourge sin out of your life before you are a child of God. That the way that you prove that you are truly one of God's children is by never sinning. And if you, if you stumble in weakness and fall into sin, then that proves that you were never part of the flock to begin with. Now, these people are very, very, very careful to adorn themselves with good works, Right? to cover themselves with the clothing of what it looks like, according to the eye, to be a Christian. But as Jesus says, looks are deceiving. And so also, we learn from other Christians that the church is to be recognized by the eye, and so they gather around themselves spectacular and marvelous buildings, you know? They surround themselves with all kinds of pomp. We might even think of people like, I don't know, the Mormons. You know, they're so very careful to tell you and to tell everybody else that they are Christians, that they are Christians, and that we should be able to tell the difference between them and everybody else because of how they they look, all the good works that they do, how careful they are to be obedient to the law. Now, whether we're talking about people who belong to some kind of radical, reformed uh, holiness church, or people who belong to the Roman Catholic papacy, or, or those people who call themselves Mormons, this is the fact. What they say about Jesus, and what they say about the salvation that we have by God's grace on account of Jesus, is different from the preaching of the true prophets. Yes, they might look good and holy and pure because of their outward works that they do, because of how deeply they love their neighbor, or so they tell us. And yet Jesus tells us to be careful. Listen to what they say. Not not to pay too close attention to how they look or to what they do. Listen to what they say. This is very different, by the way, than how the world tells us to judge a person's character. The world will always tell us to pay less attention to what we hear with our ears and more attention to what we can see with our eyes. But Jesus says, no. In fact, what is more important is the word, the teaching, the doctrine. Jesus says, 
that when the last day comes, and that when the false teachers, when the false prophets are judged, their deception has run so deep, even within themselves, that they will plead their case by saying that they worked and they preached and they cast out demons in Jesus' name. Yet the Lord will say to them, I never knew you. They demand to be judged by their works. But Jesus pays attention to the true fruit that is demanded of a prophet. A prophet is given into the world by God to preach. A prophet is put into this world, into a place like this, to teach. It is a work of speaking. That is the fruit by which you can judge the tree to be either good or bad. Jesus calls the people who depart from the teaching that he has given in his holy scriptures. The teaching of salvation, of God's unearned and unmerited grace. Those people who step outside of that, he calls them workers of lawlessness. That's good for us to think of. They fight against both the teaching of God's law and the teaching of the gospel. Any, uh, any kind of false doctrine that we could dream up, you know. Any kind of doctrine that, faults, that fights against the false doctrine of the scriptures can be boiled down to this one thing. And when it comes to the Ten Commandments, when it comes to God's law, they try to, they try to set aside the commands of the law, even in an effort to appear more holy, even in an effort to appear better in the sight of the world. What do I mean by that? Well, oftentimes, Pastor Wolfmuller and I have talked about this. The first table of the law that demands True fear, love, and trust in God above all things, that we love God with all our hearts, minds, and souls. This is set in opposition and in conflict with the second table of the law, right? With the command that you ought to love your neighbor as yourself, that you should honor your parents, that you should take care of your neighbor's body, right? There are people in this world, workers of lawlessness, who would say that you have to sacrifice some commandments in order to keep others. And especially, they'll say that if you really want to love your neighbor, if you really want to do what's right by them, to show them genuine affection, maybe, maybe, just maybe you have to set aside your, your zeal for God's scriptures. Right? Maybe, in fact, it's your zeal for conforming yourself to the, uh, the confession of the apostles and the Nicene Creed. Maybe it's your zeal for conforming yourself to Luther's catechism that's keeping you from having a mind open enough to embrace and to love all of humanity, right? And they would convince you that doctrine must be sacrificed so that you could reach out your hand and, 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 and love your neighbor with a pure and genuine heart. But that's a lie. That's lawlessness. God will not sacrifice one side of the table for the other. 
And so also we have to watch ourselves to be careful of the opposite error. Sometimes we think that our anger against others is justified because of how closely we hold to the doctrine and how much we love God, right? This is really a temptation here in the church and in our families, our immediate families. When somebody in the church starts to speak against God's word, we think that our anger inside of ourselves is justified against their person. That I don't like Joe because Joe said something false. It wasn't in accord with God's word, and now I am mad at Joe. Even to the point of wishing him harm and slandering him about behind his back, right? We have to ask ourselves if we have this office of anger. Or in fact, if God has asked us to and told us to love our enemies, even as we love ourselves. There is a way in which we hold up the teaching, the doctrine on one hand, and even as the doctrine is being slandered by other people in the world, even as it's being fought against by people in the world who desire to break God's commandments, yet we ought to love them. And yet we ought to see our anger against their persons as sin and confess that sin so that God would teach us to love genuinely with a true heart. Lawlessness also pertains, more to, also pertains to the gospel. God has given specific commands and a specific order to which his word is to be preached and his sacraments administered. It is a kind of lawlessness when people would try to take out of the, the use of the church the full gift of baptism, right? To say that to say that baptism is only for those people who can announce with their mouths that they've made their commitment for Jesus, you see? That steps outside of the bounds of Jesus' commands for baptism, that it in fact be given to all the people, all the nations. And so also, God's ordering and his commands concerning the administration of, of uh, let's say, Holy Communion, that also can be transgressed when we say that well, communion should be for everybody, no matter what they believe, as opposed to those people who are united in the confession of who Jesus is and what he has done. To try to separate out communion from confession. That also is against the order that Jesus has given us in the gospel, and that is sin. Now, either if we're talking about lawlessness according to the law, and lawlessness according to the commands to preach the gospel. Still the touchstone to tell the difference between what is true and what is false, what is good and what is bad and what is right and what is wrong, all of this will always rest on the unchangeable and clear and pure word of God. You have been given the scriptures so that you would be able to tell the difference between the true teachers and the false teachers. Now, it is not as if God has given us the scriptures and said good luck. 
Use this as your touchstone and see if you have the strength within you to figure it out. But the fact is, we are weak. And it is hard for us, because of the, the weakness of our flesh, to tell the difference, to, to be able to sort through what a person says so, so that we can see if they're actually telling us the truth about God's Word or something that is false, which is good for us to hear and to know this day that God's Word is powerful. That God's Word is stronger than our weakness. And we sang about that in the hymn this morning, right before the sermon. It's a Reformation hymn. The Lord looked down from heaven and behold. And it places the works of the Reformation of the church not in the hands of a man named Luther or in the hands of a man named Philip Melanchthon or some of these other reformers. Instead, it is God himself who comes down from heaven through his word and works through his word to keep us steadfast in the truth and in the doctrine. And when we open the Holy Scriptures, it's not like reading another book. Instead, we we have in there the power of God Himself, the Holy Spirit, to guard and to keep our hearts and our minds. To teach us to tell the difference between those who would muddy the waters between law and gospel and those who would would see and preach the distinction clearly. Jesus uses such harsh words to speak against the false prophets, dear saints. Not because Jesus is merely trying to be, uh, I don't know, an unsavory character by today's standards, but really because of the gift of his gospel. His gift alone can save us. The blood that he sacrificed on the cross can never be mingled with an ounce of our effort, an ounce of our will. Otherwise, the gift would be destroyed. To keep this doctrine of his cross and his resurrection, the salvation that you have through this cross, he has given us his doctrine, and he has given us the Holy Spirit to keep us steadfast, to give us faith in his teaching so that in it we would find forgiveness and life and salvation. The Lord grant us this faithfulness always. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.